Hey guys, it's Kevin Aisha with the Marriage and Real Estate Podcast. We are happy to be back. Good afternoon. I'm I'm hype. Are you hype? No, yes. you're not hype. Yes, I am hype. You see my hypeness? I don't see your hypeness at all. Well, keep going. It'll get hyper. So, um, welcome back. This week I wanted to talk about a really cool YouTube video that I saw about redlining and black wealth in black community. Uh-huh. I thought you'd be interested in it. So I wanted to tell a quick story and then uh, we can talk about it. Okay, let's hear it. So in this YouTube video, Cory Booker was talking about when his father went to buy them a house in a neighborhood in, I guess, New Jersey or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a all white neighborhood. Um, every house that they looked at in this neighborhood, this is right when the height of redlining was happening. They would tell them, oh, it was either sold or it wasn't available, some kind of reason. So what they did is set up a sting operation with um, a civil rights organization and sent in a white couple to put a bid on the house. Same house. Same house. Uh, the bid was accepted. And when they got to the closing table, the white couple didn't show up. Cory Booker's dad showed up oh, wow. with his attorney. White couple, real estate agent, so pissed, he decked, he punched the uh, Cory Booker's dad's attorney. And it was like, it became a big, they had a dog at the title company, sick the dog on Cory Booker's dad. It was like, oh a whole thing. my God. It was crazy. Well, they ended up buying that house uh, anyway. And he said that house was a foundation of wealth for the family. Mm. Right. So um, the YouTube video that I was watching was talking about how through the pandemic, what what we've lost or through 2008 and then now in the pandemic, how much black wealth was lost. Mm -hmm. And the majority of that black wealth in 2008 was lost through real estate. So. Um, in the houses that were foreclosed on and things like that, we lost 53% of our wealth as a community. Mm -hmm. And um, the majority of that was because even with black couples with 800 credit score, they were still put in subprime loans and bad products and things like that. So what I wanted to talk about this week is the impact of home ownership in, in wealth building as a cornerstone. And then also the kind of future aspects of that. So the legacy, like what you pass down to your kids and the impact that it can have. Okay. Cool. So uh, I wanted to give my feedback on that story and just tell you, and I know we haven't had this conversation, so we're kind of having it live on the podcast. It is. But when I watched that story, it made me think of my grandfather buying a house in Riverside Terrace. And when he, he was one of the first blacks in Riverside Terrace to buy a house and they actually firebombed our living room when he first bought a house. But that house now, um, which we no longer own that house, we own the house next door because my mom bought it. But when he bought that house, I want to say it was like $15,000, right? Something like that. And that property now is worth in excess of half a million dollars, yeah. right? So if you think about how much wealth is transferred in just that single transaction, and I think about our portfolio, right? In the majority of our wealth, of course, we're in real estate, is held in real estate. Mm -hmm. That's a direct correlation to what we're passing down to our children through the properties that we own. And that's a blessing and a benefit, right? Yeah. So I wanted to get your feedback on that story and then kind of elaborate on the conversation. Okay. One, two, three, check in, Aisha. So, because um, <laughs> I, I guess I am a little drab today. Um, no, I mean, we know and have heard these kinds of stories before, and it's true. Um, 
the one thing that it makes me think about is protecting those assets, right? Because what we see is the parents of old, our grandparents and our our great-grandparents that have passed down properties and they get lost because people don't know what to do with them. Um, and so, or our families don't know what to do with them, right? And so how do we protect, how do we protect our assets so that it can't be messed up, right? So mm-hmm. that it can't be sold. Um, I had a family telling me about um, a property that they have, one of the parents died or grandparents died, mm-hmm. and then now it has four heirs. Well, one of the heirs has a tax lien. And so it's interfering with the sale of this property because it's one of, they are one of the heirs to this property. So yeah. it's just, um, how do you, how do we protect ourselves against that? And how do we make sure that we have the right safeguards in place so that we don't have those kinds of issues down the line. You know, I think we have to be intentional. Um, it's, it's interesting because even today I had to do that research on the ranch land, uh, in Hallettsville where my family's from. Well, that, that going down that wormhole was interesting because it's very much exactly the same situation that you're talking about with the property, right? Um, one property has no heirs and then the other property has several heirs. The interesting part is um, this property is 21 acres inside of an 80 acre parcel. This 80 acre parcel, 75% of it is owned by another family, a white family, right? So this white family, he has uh, one heir and several grandchildren. He just passed away, but he owns not only 75% of this parcel, but probably another 40 parcels across this county which is very interesting. So you see the the difference right now. Here I am trying to piece together and part basically 24% of this this property right. when just a part of his estate is 75% of this whole um, kind of property that I'm looking at. And it's the difference between a black household and a white household, but it's also the difference between protections because what his heirs did was immediately set up a ranch company for the estate mm-hmm. that now services all the properties versus ours. It's just somebody paying the taxes and we don't even know yeah. where it is. You know what I mean? Um, so I think being intentional, like we always talk about with our CPA is setting up trust, setting up different systems that would trigger upon death in order to protect the future airship of the property. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about the land that's in Hallisville. My family has property out in Louisiana that is heavily wooded. Um, I don't even know how many acres I have to call my dad and ask him how many acres it is, but it's all of his cousins and himself like piecing together the money to keep the taxes paid on this land. There's so much, um, I want to say wood like trees and there's a guy who goes and he cuts the trees down and he makes money off of it, but a it's timber. Company. It's all like there's no contracts. There's there's nothing in place to protect this from not happening, but it is happening, and nobody's there to say like, "Hey, no, stop, wait," you know. And, and they don't have yeah. the sophistication to, I don't know, do something. With do it. something about it, right? Maybe we should do something about it. I it's, think we've talked about that. We before have talked too. about it. The thing about it is, it's like. 
it's a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work and it's not close. Like you have yeah. to drive to Louisiana to get to the land to even know or understand. And invest a lot of money in fencing and it's control, money, cutting. Time. And then who's responsible fiscally, you yep. know, um, because that's the other thing that I've seen with heirs before is that because the person who does have the money. So, right, you have these these several heirs that own this property. There's usually like one person who does have the financial ability to make a difference in this land but it's like why would I do that when y'all haven't put anything in or y'all equally benefit I put more in and everybody else pulls out the same amount you know what I mean and that happens all the time it happens a lot so properties that's why I respect wholesalers to be quite honest <laughs> wholesalers that like can piece, piece all, all of those together. people together and like make all of those people come to a resolution. I'm like, you deserve whatever, yeah, whatever you gonna whatever make. you make on that back end. Like I'm clear that you worked for it because navigating all of those people and personalities and usually challenges that comes with families in these kind of situations, like go get your back end money. I'm not even mad about it. No, I mean, that's real. It's, it's interesting because literally even in the, the video that I watched, it talked about the impact of that one, family member who has the economic means mm -hmm. and how it decreases their wealth. It right? does. So they said, if you take two, uh, a white college graduate and a black college graduate and you forecast 10 years out and they have the same job, same income, whatever, the black college graduates wealth will go down over time and the white college graduates wealth will go up over time. And the reason why is because this person is probably the first college graduate and the one who has the means. So now, they have to help all their other family members when the other white college graduate is just among his family, right? Like his peers, is, these are the people that when you worked at the bank were getting the $20,000 wedding gifts, right? Uh -huh. Their wealth increases because they're starting from a standpoint of stability yep. versus us creating our own stability that then we have to share our stability with other people to give our family stability. Yeah, because think about it. Like when you're the first to graduate in your family or if there aren't very many graduates, you have your elders to take care of. When our counterparts, they have those kinds of provisions in place for the elders, yeah. right? There's financial provisions. There's um, housing provisions in place. But for us, it's like, okay, we got to take care of mom and dad. Um, and which, you know, we take that burden I mean, I don't want to call it burden. We take that on our backs because that's what we do. But comparatively speaking, it does reduce our wealth. You know what I mean? Sure. Same thing for like college scholarship. I mean, college attendance, right? Mm -hmm. I've had friends who, when they graduated from college, there was this nest egg waiting for them to do whatever they wanted with, right? And we graduate college and we go into debt because we need There's student loans to meet yeah. that. So then when you graduate college, you don't have this debt that I have. So my debt to income ratio looks different than yours. So you can go buy, even in the housing market, you know, oh, yeah. our counterparts can go and buy half a million dollar houses because with note. the same salary that we have, yep. but we can't because we have this $200,000 student loan. Yep. And some people $400,000 student loans for a master's degree and I don't know, theater arts or teaching or something. <laughs> That's true. <I> don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. we win and we spend all of this money. And I don't know what's happening in the education, higher education space today, but I seriously feel like that was predatory lending. Like for you to ask an 18 year old, like, hey, your college tuition is $2,500, but we'll give you 20. How much do you want? 
I'm 18. I ain't never had $20,000 in my hand like that. Give me all 20 of my $1,000. And then you stuck. And the reason why I tell this story is because was that quite my story? Not quite. Now, did I take more than I should have or need it? Absolutely. But I have friends that have done that. Like they always took the max that was offered for them. And now they are saddled with all of these student loans that is like a forever thing. And if you have an other alternative, you wouldn't do that, right? Like if you've seen $20,000 before, it's nothing to you to go, oh, yeah, I don't need this. You're like. But even that, if you had, if you had parents or the backing to be able for your college tuition to be covered and your college room and board, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. the ability to eat and the ability to like work a a small job so you can have money, you wouldn't need to take on 20, like you would be like, why would I take on debt for Mm $40,000? Like I don't have any reason to do that. But for us, we hadn't been exposed and to it's just, Anyways, again, I feel like it was such predatory lending for them to do that to an entire generation. I think that's proven to be true. Same thing with the housing. It's funny. So Kayla got a text message this morning when I was dropping off at school. And I think it was spam, but it was like, hey, you know, here's some information. We're having a webinar or something on scholarships. Um, Click this link and then you can find out more about scholarships. And she's like, Dad, do you think this is spam? I said, most likely it's spam. And I said, the reality situation is you're four years from needing scholarships. Now, here's the the interesting part and the fun part. She said, well, you know, when I'm ready for scholarships, what what happens next? I said, well, the great thing is we now have a person that we're going to pay to help you find scholarships. Yeah. Right. But that's a new involvement. Right. Like that's a that's a new revelation. And when we were going to school or whatever, there was nobody. Not only did we not have the money to pay anybody to help us find scholarships, but it wasn't even something that we knew existed. But now that we know, we're right. like, oh, look, we write a, I was gonna a like, small it exist- check. It existed. No, we but just didn't know like, about it. Yeah. So now we know, OK, I'm going to write a $1,200 check or whatever. And this girl going to help me find scholarships and help our children find scholarships. So you don't have to worry about the timing of that because somebody's going to walk you through that process. Yeah. So that's a change, you know what I mean? And I think that's kind of the next step in the the follow-up video that I watched talked about what are the next steps to fixing this mm-hmm. and not necessarily fixing it because you can't overcome it overnight, but right. how do you start being intentional and setting the things in place from a wealth standpoint? So I definitely think it's conversations and I definitely think it's exposure to things like that and it's your network for sure, but it's also being very intentional about what you want for your life and what you don't want for your life. You don't want saddled student loan debt. So how do you overcome that? How do you figure that out? Right. You want to maximize the wealth creation with housing. So how do you do that? Right. Like how do you do these things that ultimately help you? And even if you only take it as far as making sure that your kids are good to go to college and you have a good retirement fund, there's still steps to be intentional about it. Yeah. Um, What did they say about, and I think we talked about this before, how hard work skips a generation. Was it you who told the story? So, mm-hmm. you know, you work hard, then your kids don't, right? And then their kids work hard, and it just kind of so jumps back and forth. What they talked about was, so the generation before our generation, the access to information and opportunities they had was extremely limited, Yeah. right? So our parents' generation, the kind of boomers' generation, they had a little bit more access, but what happened is they got real comfortable. So they said, hey, stick in this corporate ladder, you climb, you work a good job, you retire, whatever. And what happened in our generation is we had enough privilege to not have to do that Mm -hmm. 
Right. Right. So we could take a little bit more risk and go into business or things like that. But what happens to the next generation after us is privilege, right? So privilege sets in. So what we have to combat against is you have that very hardworking generation, the generation's kind of on their coattail so they don't have to work as hard, that that skip a generation so that next generation that is taking those chances is working really, really hard to create all this privilege for our kids. Right. And then our kids now being beneficiaries of all this privilege really don't have to work hard so they squander it all and you start over. Right. And that's the problem. Right. Right. So the goal is how do you be intentional about not only a wealth creation, but your wealth protection yeah. to make sure that your family's still good, even if you have some heirs that ultimately ain't going to do nothing. So it was interesting. I mean, there's people in play. There's people for that, too. Right. Because it's not like just our problem. It's not just a us problem. I think across the board, cultures have that issue. Sure. Too. I'm thinking in my but, head and I'm scanning through the cultures. But wealth yeah. begets wealth. So one yeah. of the things that they said was, is if you're raised in a culture that has money, you'll naturally make more money That's because true. you're exposed to money. That's true. Wealth begets wealth. So your kids almost don't have to do as much because they're naturally going to inherit the benefit of the wealth creation that the generation before put all that effort into. But here's the thing. If wealth begets wealth, then poverty begets poverty. And uh, yeah. So that's, a, I mean, that's one of those ones where you, where you need to change your, um, what is it called? Change your, break the generational curse, like yeah. change the generational curse, the generational poverty, whatever, uh, to make that a thing. So, yeah, no, that's really interesting. You'll have to send me that video. I've never I would seen it. Do that. I definitely <laughs> Maybe do we that. could put the link to the video in. Um, yes, we will do in that. our bio for this uh, episode. No, and uh, definitely something I want to talk more about. I know that we're we're really excited about creating our first marriage and real estate event. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we're going to be doing and rolling out in the next couple of weeks is information on those first events, and uh, with that. We'll continue these conversations. I like that. Awesome. Well, this is another week. We'll put the links to all the videos. Please follow us on all your socials, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Subscribe, click like, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button. I've never said Somebody's that before. Been watching I, I too see that much all the time. YouTube. I see people say that all the time. Smash that like button, smash the subscribe <laughs> button. So smash those things. I don't know why you have to smash them. I don't know what's what oh the thing. Make anyway. it stop, somebody. Well, this is the Marriage and Real Estate Podcast. We out.